Cunningham for another extraordinary message on Gill Athletics Connections. All right, here we are. You're back once again. Thank you so much for being here on the Gill Athletics Connections podcast, the podcast that strives weekly to uplift and honor coaches from around the country. Today, uh, this is going to be interesting. So we've got a high school coach here. I love that. We love bringing more and more of our high school coaches here to the show. And this coach, we're going to learn about something pretty unique that he has created, is creating. It's an app. Uh, it's really, you know, it's probably pretty the only reason I really have him on the show today. I uh, just want to learn how do you create an app? Why did he create an app for track and field? And uh, really bring some awareness to it in case it can help your program and what you're doing for your sprinters and hurdlers. And maybe we'll find out, I don't know, maybe it can be used for throwers. We're going to find out today. So help me welcome assistant coach from Episcopal Academy out in Pennsylvania, the wise, the wonderful Mr. Matthew Davis. Matthew, how are you, sir? I'm doing great today. Winter break just started, and I, I'm just excited to be here. I know you only do a couple of these a, uh, a year, so I, I feel honored to be on the podcast. Oh, well, and you know, I, I, let me make sure I clear the air. You know I was kidding when I said the only reason I have you here is for the, Okay, good, good, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I really am interested in your journey, and we absolutely are going to go into that. Uh, but, you know, you have created this app called Track Motion. Uh, you know, I like my kind of bend in life, my passion in life is to bring value, as much value as possible to anybody, whether it's here in the business setting, so with our uh, our coaches from around the country, uh, to my family, uh, to my friends, it's always about what value can I bring. So when I see others doing things of value to others, I like to amplify that. And I have seen on, of course, my favorite app in the entire world, Twitter, uh, you have been doing something with um, the app. So I'm going to actually, let's do kind of a, a cursory, let's explain what the app is and what it does. And then we'll pause. Let's get to your journey. And then at the end, we'll kind of deep dive into the app. So tell us a little bit about the app, what you're doing, what it does, et cetera. Great. So uh, I, I'm a high school teacher. I teach computer science. Um, and uh, we have a relatively small coaching staff. So it's about a one to 30 coaching ratio, which is kind of hard to work with. Um, and, and as many high school coaches, like injuries can be a problem. And so I was trying to figure out a way that I like use technology to help identify like biomechanical inefficiencies or things that might, you know, potentially be dangerous for kids while they're running, um, like particularly like max velocity stuff. Um, like, can I prevent injuries before they happen? Um, so I started working on this app. It's called Track Motion, um, and basically, what it does, it, it it uses like live motion tracking, and it can detect the different joints in the body. So it knows where your knee is, it knows where your hip is, your shoulder, your elbow, um, and then I can use that to calculate the angles between those joints. Um, and so the the original goal was like, can I just figure out when a kid is like reaching in front of themselves while they're running? And that way, like, it, it's sometimes hard to see that, particularly when you have a large group. So could I just, like, give a manager an iPad and they could just hold it up and, like, be able to identify that? And that's a really hard problem to solve. So I started with some easier stuff. So, like, right now what's available is um, it, it helps you with the blocks. So basically, like, a kid gets in the blocks and it'll show you the angles between the knee um, and the hips and the shoulders and the different angles. Um, and it's just, like, really simple right now. It's red, yellow, green like traffic light, like red, they're probably not in the right angles. Yellow, they're close. Green is like you're in a sweet spot range. It's not like 100% perfect, and I'm sure we can dive more into it later. But the idea was like, can I give this to a high school freshman and he can 
use this on his buddy and they can like vaguely figure it out because I can't work with 30 kids in a 60 to 90 minute practice by myself. Oh, I love that. Uh, you know, what you described there of the coach who has, you know, 30 to one ratio, we like to think, we hope to think that all of us are on a one-to-one. We hear a lot about individualized training and things like that. However, reality is a lot of times we have 15, 20, 25, 30 kids. And so we're trying our best because we're also teachers. We're also uh, maybe spouses. We also maybe have families and charities and passions. We have a lot of other things besides just coaching track and field. So I like things like this that can help us do better with the limited time and, uh, resources that we have available to us. Now, before you go running over, first of all, is this on, uh, you know, the two main ones are the uh, Google Play Store and the Apple App Store. Are they on both? Is this on both of those? It's it's on both, just for listeners who are interested. Uh, I did not know this beforehand, but coding the Android app is completely separate than in Apple app. Um, so like I have two completely separate programs. So they do slightly different things, yeah, okay. um, but working on it. But they're on both. So yeah. they go over there at track motion, that, that'll bring it up. Correct. Okay. So uh, maybe, uh, and I, you know, this, I think this goes against every podcasting principle you're supposed to say. <laughs> Press pause right now, head over to your app store, download it, and then come back here. That's the key part here. Come back. Uh, we're about to get into Matthew's story of how he got into coaching. Why in the world? You already heard he was a computer science teacher. So we're going to learn how he got into that and why, why an app. That's not we're, I bet we're going to find out it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. If it was, a lot more of us would have our own apps, right? So come back, we'll hear the journey, and then we'll get into more of the app and how you might be able to best utilize it for your program. So go press pause right now, come back, and we'll get started here with the story. Okay, Matthew, so uh, you know, at some point for you, uh, track and coaching had uh, switched. It's not always a light switch, like on and off. Sometimes it's a fader button, but it had to switch from something that was done to you, Matthew, go run this, jump that, etc. And it had to flip to where it was like, oh, wait a minute, maybe I could be a coach. Where does track and field, track and field coaching, where does it begin for you? Yeah, for me, it started in high school. Um, I was never like super athletically gifted but i always loved the x's and o's like like in the locker room i'd always like be predicting what the workouts were going to be that day um and like even like when uh i became captain my senior year not because i was varsity just because i was so into track and field like i was all about the data and the numbers um so the coaches would actually come to me to help with the meet lineups because i knew all the statistics of all of the area teams um, and so we would like optimize the score scoring. Um, and that's like something that I've like always, you know, I'm a computer scientist and physicist. So like, I'm very into numbers and spreadsheets and data. Um, so it kind of started there. Um, and I remember one day I was at an indoor track meet and we were sitting there watching like three hours of the JV 400. And I was just sitting there with my coach and we were trying to pick who would win um each heat and he he turned to me and said you know one day like you could be a pretty good coach and I had literally never thought about being a coach up until that moment and then like that basically like turbo started everything from there oh man you, you know I truly believe 
you know, a coach's superpower is seeing something in others before they can see it themselves. I love how, because I would have naturally thought because of numbers, you know, track and what like baseball and really any sport nowadays lends itself to numbers and stats and all those kind of things, right? But track is really the the root of all these stats and splits and, uh, you know, averages and mile per hours and things like that. I would have thought you had naturally had started looking at maybe becoming a coach, but it never even sank into your mind at all until coach turned to you and was like, you know, Matthew, like you could probably be a pretty good coach one day. Yeah. I like, so my dad was a, a programmer and I always wanted to be a programmer. Yeah. Um, and, and it was about the same time I had gotten an internship. Um, so I was like co-oping. So I left after fourth period and would go work um, for the national weather service doing coding things. Wow. Um, and, but I, I realized how much like I didn't enjoy sitting in front of a desk every day. And so I was like coming to terms with the idea of like, okay, like maybe I'm not going to turn exactly into my father and I need to find something else to do. Um, and, and I just love, I, I wanted to get better myself. And that was probably the primary motivation early on. It's like, I wanted to learn how to be a faster distance runner. And so I just like dove straight into that. So like the day, like two weeks after I turned 18, um, in college, my freshman year, I went off and did like my USATF level one. Um, and I was just like doing anything I could to get involved. So like managed the the team, the varsity team. Um, there was a club program and I was like the coach of the club team. Um, and just like continuing to just dive deeper and deeper and learn as much as I could. Uh, uh, what, what years roughly is this for high school for you? Uh, it was probably junior or senior year um, uh, is when I started really realizing that stuff. Like uh, 2000 and... Oh, yeah, uh, 2009. Okay, so, you know, I'm a little bit older than you, Matthew. So when you <laughs> talked about, uh, you know, you had like the area team. So like when conference or regionals came up, you kind of already, like you were kind of, were putting in your, um, like a descending order list already, maybe yep. uh, things like that. Like, you know, when I was in high school, we, you know, we didn't know because like, you know, we just read the the height the um, newspaper blurb, and it would only give us like the winner, and rarely would it even give us the time and things like that. So you were kind of already collecting like all this data of your area teams and putting it together. Yeah, and this was like before, before. at least in our area, like MileSplit and Athletic.net, like weren't oh, sure. really popular back yeah. then. Um, and so there was a local website called Moco Running, and it, uh, this uh, this guy made his own website and kept all the stats for everybody who lived in the county. Um, and like you were able to like search up um, different people's stats, wow. and you could look up results. And it was like really organized for like I don't know the mid to early two thousands. Um, yeah. So it was really cool. Our big thing was when John Dye created Diestat back in the nineties, mm -hmm. yep. you know, he started that as like a Eastern Maryland thing and luckily it grew. And that was just like, I mean, we were in awe when Diestat went national and, you know, you could go and look at a top 50 list and uh, it was just yeah. amazing. And now today, you know, we have a top 50 list, you know, as soon as the race is over, we already know <laughs> who exactly. ran what, when readings, everything. It's quite amazing. How did coach, uh, you know, I can, I can assume based on that conversation you talked about where coach turned to you and said, you know, Matthew, you could be a coach one day. Uh, how did, you know, some coaches could be a little bit, um, uh, what's the word I want to use here at arm's length with a kid who comes and, you know, you, you probably were keeping track of all the workouts and, you know, Hey, I do best when I do this workout and we do better when we run this kind of workout. Some could be a little like, Hey, Hey, 17 year old, let me do my job. Uh, others could be very, you know, bring it forward and, uh, and, and, um, a blessing of it and encouraging of it. How was your relationship with the coaching staff in regards to this, like love of data for track and field and track and field training? 
Yeah, I, th I think we had a really healthy relationship. I was never the type of person who was like, oh, I think I should be doing this. Like I fully bought in and trusted them. And it was more of like me trying to learn. So like we would just be sitting there at meets and I would be asking like, oh, okay, like, well, why do we approach this? And I just wanted to learn as much as I could. Um, I I've kind of always been that person who just wants to absorb as much as possible. And, and then once I kind of have all the information, try to make decisions based on that. So you mentioned dad was a, a computer scientist as well. This is, I mean, I guess technically it's not genetic, but oh my goodness. <laughs> I mean, you've been kind of in this vein from a long time now. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember I was like five years old and we were on like a windows 95 machine. He was like teaching me how to code when I was little. Um, wow. And this, you know, not always when you're five, do you want to be sitting there typing code? Um, but it's something like I continued to grow and became a passion of mine. Um, I, I went off to college um, and I realized pretty early in my college career that I didn't want to be a CS major because I just didn't see an avenue for me being happy being a programmer all day. Um, and I remember I walked into the physics building and it said, do you like physics? And I said, yes. And it said, do you want to be a teacher? And I said, I have no idea. And then it said, come here and we'll give you two free 400 level classes if you do the summer program. And it was basically a summer program to teach um, students in Baltimore City, um, just providing like experiential learning for them. And I was like, I'll take two 400 level credits for free, please. Um, and, and it was basically like off to the races from there. Like I did that summer program. Um, I ended up getting a degree in physics education. Um, there was no degree um, and, I, and I don't know if any state has degrees for this right now for computer science education. Like right. normally when you're a computer scientist, you don't take massive pay cuts to go into education. Right. But I realized that's what I wanted to do with my life. Um, so I ended up getting the degree in physics and then minored in computer science. So I was just always kind of tinkering um, a, as my you know journey developed. So when you were looking at colleges, uh, where did you end up going in kind of two things? Was running a part of that uh, equation and... I know coach said, Hey, you might could be a coach one day as well. And that kind of started a little flame in there. How big was the flame? Did you also go into college thinking, Oh, I'll become a physics teacher because I'll be able to coach track and field. Or was that still just uh, on the side and, you know, the phys physics and computer science things was uh, more of the forefront. Yeah. Basically had two paths um, thinking about going to the college world. Um, I almost went to Appalachian state um, to study kinesiology, mm -hmm. but I, I've never been good with blood or anything like that. So I was just like, you know what, maybe like, don't take anatomy, don't have to do dissections or anything. Um, so I ended up going to UMBC university in Maryland, Baltimore County. Yeah. Um, my whole family has basically gone there. Um, and I actually knew the coach, um, his sister was my babysitter growing up for some strange world. Um, so I ended up being the manager of the, the team at UMBC. Um, and I knew that I was just going to study some sort of STEM physics comp sci thing um, and end up being physics and comp sci. Yeah. So, so this sounds more of like I'm still involved in track, but not necessarily going to be a coach or am I missing it? Yeah, I, I I knew I wanted to coach. I wasn't sure what that avenue was going to be. Yeah. And when I finally switched, um, I switched sophomore year to physics education. I was like, okay, physics teacher, track coach. And like, that was that was the goal off to the races. Um, and that's when I really started. Like I, I did my level one freshman year. Yeah. Um, and I just really started doing more clinics and things like that um, as I got older in college. 
and you were the manager through your years in school. Yep. Uh, and UMBC, the um, Riverliers or something like that. Retrievers. Retrievers. I, I knew it was a dog yeah. and I was trying to figure out what kind of dog. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, made famous by the uh, Sweet 16 run or whatnot with the best. I'm impressed. I'm oh, yeah, impressed. yeah. I love one of my little quirks if you will is i like to know everybody's mascot like that's a big like mm -hmm. i have a lot of fun with that so i uh it just it's a little memory bank when anybody you know i say becomes famous you know the the viral sensation that went with umbc and the basketball and i always remembered little dog and i knew it was re something uh in there that was really cool their their twitter i was really jealous because their twitter account blew up from like 100 people to like a million people um yeah. i need to go back and check i'd like to see where uh I, I don't think it settled all the way back down i know it settled a little bit but that's still they, they did an amazing job during that time it, it's funny every year you know you're a high school teacher kids ask like oh where did you go to college and I, I tell them every year and I'm like the only reason you probably know of us is because you know they're like 14 is like that that game where we beat UVA is the reason that a yeah. lot of people outside of the Baltimore area know, know because because you screwed everybody's bracket up that's correct exactly that's right, that's right. uh real quick before we move on there uh you were computer science major minor as well I also started out school as a computer science major way before you, though. So there was languages you probably worked <laughs> on that weren't even invented at that point. Uh, that is a really tough major. You know, I actually had to get out of that major. Uh, I worked extremely hard. I mean, it was the only time, it was my freshman year up in Chicago. Uh, it was the only time in school that I've like really worked hard. I mean, I mean, like, you know, studied, actually studied, uh, got a tutor. My um, fraternity brother was doing uh, internships at Apple at that point. So, you know, he was big into CS. So, you know, I was working with him and I still could only pull C. We, we did, um, uh, first semester was like basic and the second semester was C++. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh man, I didn't even get a C plus in C++. And I was like, it's only... <laughs> going to get harder, I might want to switch uh, um, uh, majors here. To me, it was a, a combination, the way I describe computer science majors. Um, it, it's a combination of foreign language and math. You know, there's a lot of conversion. So they have foreign language as far as converting words and uh, things like that. And then math because of the math component of it. I, I just couldn't, um, I don't know. I just couldn't, I love it. I, I love program. I love seeing programming. I know, I know what good programming looks like, minimalist and things like that. I just can't, I, I couldn't, it, it, I don't do it anymore. So it's not like I can't, I could not do it at all. How, how did you handle, uh, uh, you know, just personally, I, since I went through it, how in the world do you do it, man? Yeah. I mean, it's tough. And like, particularly doing the duel with physics. Like I remember the first time I took quantum mechanics um, and my, my first exam, I got a 10 out of 130. And I was like, Oh, like this is this is a different world um and you know it's it's a lot of study and a lot of work and just like you know what i always tell my my high school kids when they're going off to college is like go to office hours and just like getting support when i need it um i i don't think i'm like amazing academically um but i i knew when to reach out and i was okay with like accepting the fact that like i don't know everything and just getting help when i needed that yeah, I'm just writing down a little note here because this is the first time uh, this has ever been said on the Gill Connections podcast. Uh, the first time I took quantum mechanics, <laughs> no, no one, <laughs> no one's ever said that on the podcast. That's for sure. Uh, did you? And maybe it's more of do you now today? Um, and we're, you know, we'll learn up to today. Yeah, I'm curious about you being the manager for the track team. I love that. There's no uh, putting down this versus being an athlete at all. Uh, and I love that you did level one. You know, right off the bat. I mean, that's quite amazing, actually. Um, 
was there any concern of man i'm not doing it as an athlete i'm not on that track team i'm not being coached you're you're you may be in a more advantageous spot to be real frank with you as the manager you get to observe from the outside instead of being involved in the mix where we can lose sight of what's actually the whys and what's and hows of what we're doing um was there any concern of like okay you know i'm gonna you know, i'm taking my classes i'm gonna go coach high school i'm gonna go coach track and field but i'm not the athlete i'm the manager were there any you know no uh, i mean their syndromes so anything yeah, while I was kind of going through this manager practice, and I wasn't at practice every day. I kind of just went to meets to help out. Um, but I was also, I was a club runner. So there was like a, a running club. Right. And so I was running out with all my buddies. And, and I was actually the coach of the uh, the running club team. Um, and, and we ended up getting pretty good. But by, by the end of my senior year, we had five guys under 16 for 5K. So for like, you know, like a club team. Absolutely. I was, I was pretty pleased with that. Um, and so it gave me an opportunity, you know, work out with my friends, but also like practice the things that I was trying to learn as mm -hmm. I was reading and just exploring different things. I love that you had this experience. You know, it's one of the reasons we started the Gill Connections podcast was to show that there are many, many different unique paths that end with I'm a track coach, whether it's on the high school or college level. You know, we tend to think the stereotypical way is, you know, I'm a college athlete. I go become a GA and then I become and then, then I work my way up, which I you know, I, I could go on my own soapbox on how I don't really like that term, but, uh, you know, I work at a junior college and then I'm a, uh, you know, a volunteer coach and then I'm an assistant coach. And then one day I wake up, I'm 60 and I'm the head coach. Like that's the, I think that's what people think is the stereotypical way. And what we've learned here, you know, after having 200 plus different coaches come through that there are coaches who didn't do track and field at all. Like, uh, Last fall, we had a couple of high school coaches that were that are amazing. In fact, one of them, national high school coach of the year, and he didn't do track at all, high school or college. In fact, didn't even know about, I mean, knew about track, but didn't even think about track until one day the AD was like, hey, I need a track coach. You're going to become the head track coach. And then fell in love with the sport and learned and, you know, became. So I love that you have this experience as uh, I was as a manager and I was coaching the uh, the club team on the college. Like that's, uh, there's someone out there right now that is like, oh, I could never become a coach because I wasn't a college athlete. And here we're learning what a great example that you absolutely can. If you have love for the kids and love for the sport, you absolutely can go on to become a great uh, high school, college uh, track and field coach. I love that. I love that experience for you. Yeah, I was actually just listening to Dustin's podcast yesterday, um, and, and I can somewhat relate to him. And I'm sure, I'm sure we'll get there. Like it sounds like I am a distance coach, but I, I've actually been coaching sprints, jumps, hurdles um, for the for the past six years. And okay. so, like learning a completely different side um, of the sport was a really cool experience for me because, like, yeah. I had never been in the blocks hmm. until my high school kids were like not sure how to get in the blocks. And I was like, well, I guess I better figure that out too. I, I'm going to have this conversation with you now because I'm going to end up forgetting it. If I don't, we're going to be a little bit out of order here, I think. Um, so it, it's interesting. You know, you talk about you coach sprints now and you're right. I was like, oh, you must coach distance runners, which, which was going to lead me to when we get back to the app of old, you know, this is a very sprinter hurdler type of app you created here, my friend, what are you doing distance runner, Matthew? Um, but I just read a book from Adam Grant called Hidden Potential, and I highly recommend it. If, if you're a book reader, you go to your local library. It's really, really good. And there's a good section there talking about uh, mentors and coaches and the ones that are at the very high level. So uh, the CEO of Apple, um, 
the um, the elite sprinter uh, or the the elite coach that who he was an elite sprinter, et cetera, and how when you're looking for mentors and or coaches, that those might not be the best ones for you. And those are the ones we typically think of, right? Like we've had people like Mouse Holloway and Karen Smith, I'm sorry, Karen Dennis, um, uh, other just really amazing high-level coaches. Uh, those might not be the best mentors for you because they're so far removed from where you are. And I'm not necessarily saying you, Matthew, but where you are as a beginning coach. And that beginning coach, by the way, is maybe year one to year 10, <laughs> by the way, um, that they're so far removed from that. They've forgotten. Uh, it's not in their wheelhouse anymore of, of that level of what it takes to continue moving up. They know how to run the SEC program or run, uh, you know, a top five division three program, but they're not necessarily like, oh, you're a first year assistant uh, at a division two program. I don't know. I haven't done that in a while. So I really don't have that much advice. So I'm thinking about this in the athletic side, because I, I and personally with my own coaching, I've had uh, other coaches tell me that they are, they are a better hurdles coach because they ran hurdles in college and I didn't. And I was always like, well, I don't think that's true at all. And they're like, oh, but I, I, I know the feel of it. I, well, that might be true. I, you know, I've never hurdled well. I, you know, I have some terrible high school stories to share, but, <laughs> uh, but I always thought like, oh, I don't think that's true because you can learn. Like, you don't have to be a, um, um, I don't know, you don't have to necessarily be an astronaut to teach astronauts what to do when they go up there. Uh, have you felt? Have you seen? you've had to learn sprint and hurdling and blocks in that example in a different light than someone who actually did it and did it well on the college side. Have, how's that experience been? Have, have you ever gotten frustrated? Like, man, I, you know, it's hard for me to explain what this feels to my athlete because I've never physically done it or, or whatnot. Or uh, how's that experience been for you? I, I think that's a great question. It's actually something I've been trying to do more this year. Um, so I've been working with the jumpers more this year and i never high jumped before and i never long jumped or triple jumped and so i actually go out of practice and i try to do the drills with them a lot of time mm -hmm. and the kids think it's hilarious because i am not a jumper in any right. capacity but them watching me struggle and i know the shapes that i want them to achieve um, and I'll mess up three to four times before I'll figure it out, but they can kind of watch me learn as I'm doing it, um, which has been a really cool process. Uh, and like, I think going back to the idea of like somebody saying, you've never done it, you can't be as good. I, I don't, I, I really dislike that idea because I think it's so much about like, how well are you able to explain a concept to an athlete? Um, and how many different ways can you explain a concept? And that's one of the things that makes, you know, great teachers is somebody who can find different ways to reach all different types of learners. And it's the same thing at, on, you know, at the track or on the field is like being able to explain things in different ways and finding different drills or just different, you know, cues that work for different people because every athlete's unique. Um, and so that's something that I've just really been trying to work on this year is like, okay, I try to do a hop step in the triple jump and I'm like, oh, okay, that didn't work. And then me and the athlete can talk about it um, and just come up with different ways that, that worked for me and different ways that worked for them. Um, it's been really cool. Yeah. And I've also heard about, you know, down to it's a little bit more basic unit here in track and field that not necessarily the, the people who were the best athletes are going to make the best coaches uh, because a lot of those people, you know, let's not, um, uh, take away how much God-given talent is part of track and field. Certainly coaching is a huge component, but, you know, 
we have to have the genetics in there first before we're ever going to pull that out of a kid, right? And so a lot of these really, really good athletes, um, their event maybe came to them a little bit more natural. They still had to work at it. They still had to be coached, but it came a little bit more natural. They may have a harder time explaining that to Joey and Tina, the freshmen in high school who can barely tie their shoes without falling over how to start doing the mechanics of the event. Now, certainly there's been some great ones, right? I'm thinking of like David Oliver, Joanna Hayes, um, you know, Terrence Chamel's coaching well, Alan Johnson's doing it. Um, who's my guy up at Brown? Oh my gosh. Uh, Reese Merritt, uh, you know, these are people who, you know, you know, I'm a little biased towards hurdlers, by the way. So that's why I just think I just named every hurdler that I could think <laughs> of uh, are coaching it very, very well and obviously ran at a very high level. Um, but I wonder if they had to um, think of things a little bit differently because they were now working with, you know, Joey and Jane, who aren't necessarily as athletically talented uh, as they were uh, back in the day. Yeah, no, I, d I definitely agree with that. Like, it, it, I think it's it's such a cool, unique challenge of like a high school coach of like taking a kid who's like a 14 second 100 meter kid and then turning them into a 45 foot triple jumpers like you're really working with such a such a gambit of kids and watching mm -hmm. them develop over time. Um, and, and I think like for me personally. I cannot do these motions, but learning how to do them really forces me to come up with ways to explain it to them. Yeah. And I love that you use that example too. You know, we get caught up real easily. We we do it here too at Gill, by the way, when we're talking about new uh, equipment and, um, you know, R&D function, we get real caught up in the 1%. You know, we're, we're, we're looking at uh shot put stuff and we're like, all right, what would help Joe Kovacs? What would help Ryan Krauser? And it's like, oh, you know, the real base of track and field are people who, you know, can barely pick up the shot put. There, there was a really cool video the other day. Uh, I showed it to all of our teams as a reminder of like, hey, here is your average customer. I know you want to think it's Ryan Krauser and Joe Kovacs. Here's your average coach, athlete kind of customer. And it was a video of a track meet. It was taken uh, from unhigh behind a shot putters indoors. And this kid is throwing off of uh, a basketball surface. Uh, there was no ring, like not a, not, not, not tape, not paint, not uh, an artificial. There was no circle at all. You would have no clue if this kid stepped out of bounds or not in bounds. There was a tow board, but that tow board was kind of anchored down by kettlebells. So obviously if that kid mm -hmm. would have touched that tow board, it would have, it would have moved. And there was no sector lines at all. There was just this big wide open area and they had some flags that were way to the right and left for safety. I love that they had that, uh, but there was no sector. And I go, that right there is your average high school. That is what's going on every day in track and field. I know we love to think about it manicured and there's, you know, all these officials and, uh, you know, this official circle and sector. And it's like, mm, that's not really what's going on every day. So I love your example of the 14 second hunter person. That is the average kid that we're working with in high school, not the kid who comes out and is 11 flat right off the bat or 12 flat for the uh, girls. Uh, those are the exceptions. <laughs> they really are. So you've got to get good at coaching a 14 second kid. And maybe if they're genetically predetermined to be this can become an 11 or 1050 or, you know, depending on that was male or female uh, example, but that is not, those are exceptions, not the rule. Yeah. And those are some of my favorite coaching stories. It's the kids who like, to be honest, freshman year, like 
probably should not have been competing um, just because, you know, like not at the varsity level, at least. Um, but then like taking them and turning them into an athlete who can then do something next level or just, you know, giving them life skills like that. That's the big thing. Um, like my kind of like coaching philosophy is just, you know, I, I keep coach the boys only and just like raising help growing young men of like, you know, character um, and inspiring them to live healthy, active, positive lives moving forward. Like, I don't care if you run division one or, or you don't like, I just want you to go off to the next level and be a good human being. If you're a coach, you got to go back and listen to this. That You're exactly right, Matthew. You know, if you're a regular listener of the podcast, you've heard me say this probably a thousand times now at this point, 99.9% .9 of the kids you coach uh, on the high school level, they're not going on to the college level. And on the college level, they're not going pro, but a hundred percent of them are going to be going on and become mothers and fathers and spouses and clergy and business owners and uh, librarians, et cetera. They're going to go on to produce in society. So uh, you're worth to me as a coach, you personally here, Matthew, I could literally care less how many sub 10, 50, 100 meter sprinters, sub uh, 1150 women sprinters, uh, et cetera, that you produce. D does not impress me at all. If you told me your four by one ran 3980 last year in high school, that's awesome. Like, wow, that's pretty stinking good. Uh, doesn't make you a better or or worse. Per if the reverse is true, if you're like, yeah, my four by one team ran 49 seconds last year, Mike, I'd be like, cool, man. How are you doing as a coach? How are you doing as a mentor and a leader for these young men and women? Because that is what's going to produce uh, positive or negative if you're not doing it right uh, in our society. Okay, I'm up. See, Matthew, you got me on my soapbox. I knew we were going to do that. Let's back up. We're, we're actually on this journey. I, but I had to mention, again, if you're a reader, uh, Hidden Potential uh, by Adam Grant. Uh, I believe it's Adam Grant. Uh, John Grant? No, I got it wrong. Hidden Potential. Adam. Adam. It is Adam. I knew you would know this because he's a, a scientist guy, a data guy. So yeah, you would know that. Uh, but go check out Hidden Potential. It's really, really good. Okay. You are managing the UMBC track team. You're coaching the club team. You're majoring in physics, for crying out loud, and computer science. You get your degree, which I cannot believe how hard that has to be. Uh, what is the next step? Do you immediately go into teaching and coaching? Do you go private sector? What's the, the first journey into the quote unquote real world? Yeah, so I did a year of teaching in inner city Baltimore um, and kind of went from there um, and realized that that's just not exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I, there there weren't a lot of opportunities for me to explore some of my passions um, outside of it. Um, and so I ended up moving um, and teaching back home where kind of where I grew up. So I ended up taking a computer science job um, in the city. They just, they, there was not the ability to teach computer science. I was just doing physics and chem. Um, and I really wanted to go more in the computer science route. So I taught for a couple of years um, outside of DC um, taught computer science and, um, I ended up moving to Philly, um, for uh, a partner at the time, um, and, and fell in love with my job here at Episcopal Academy. Um, so I, I ended up getting a job here to teach AP computer science, um, and fell in love with the school so much that even, you know, when life happened, um, I ended up staying in Philadelphia, even though I didn't really have anything here other than wow. the school and the community um, that, that was really a rock to, to build around. Did you, this time between graduation and Episcopal Academy, did, were you, did you coach track at all or was this? Yeah, so, yeah, so. Um, yeah, so I was. Uh, just coaching distance runners a okay. little bit here and there. Well, okay. Uh, now we started this off by you 
showing the example that you listened to me on Twitter about the words just, and you just <laughs> said it, that I was just a distance coach. Now, listen, if you haven't heard me on my soapbox about this one, I will say this over and over and over again. Uh, I'm on a mission to get rid of the word just and the word only. When a coach says, and I just had this on Twitter today, uh, I was just an assistant coach, or I'm just a high school coach, I think was what they said on Twitter today. Uh, and I'll bust your chops for it. Because when you say just, it belittles everything that you do. It belittles every person that you're helping. So are those just high school kids? So they don't matter because they're just high school kids. You're just a high school coach. No, that is not true. So when my man Matthew here says, I was just a distance coach, I stop him and say, uh, no, that's not true. You were a distance coach. You helped young people in these specific events. You did a great job. You were a great leader. You were not just. Do not belittle yourself. Do not belittle what you do and the value that you bring. That's the second time you got me on my soapbox today. All right. You were a distance coach uh, coming out of college. So you went immediately into when you're working inner city Baltimore there, you were coaching distance runners. Yeah, so I coached there a little bit, um, and then when I moved down to to DC, uh, I, I spent three years at a, a high school, um, and I was the assistant distance coach. And I, I actually ended up becoming the head indoor track coach. So there was like a head mm -hmm. um, cross country and outdoor, um, but they didn't, you know, wanted to spend more time with the family. So I took over the winter program, mm -hmm. um, and we had we had some mild success there, and it, and it was cool. It was a chance for me to really like explore all the things that I've been trying mm -hmm. um, with, you know, like a club team is not super big. And, you know, like there's only so much you can do to tell kids who are like two years younger than you to train, like, you know, they're college kids. Yeah. But when you had your whole high school program and you kind of got to build a philosophy and test things out, that was a really cool experience for me. Yeah, I was going to ask, how's that difference? Because not only is it difference, uh, you know, your age difference between the college kids, because, you know, they're like, shut up, Matthew, I'll see you in, in class tomorrow. You know, it's like, whatever, yeah, dude. Exactly. Here, you, you know, you come with an authority because you're a teacher. We're talking about high school kids, 14, 18 years old. Uh, you're you're very much free to do your own program uh, as, as you're working through. What was that experience like of like, I don't want to take away from your, the club coaching Um so, so I'm going to ask this a very terrible way. You're allowed to yell at me and push back. How was the first foray into real coaching? Trust me, high school coaching is real coaching. You learned real quick. How was that of like leading 14 to 18 year old uh, individuals, young young people? Yeah, I can still remember my first day. Like I was like super nervous because I had to like speak to an entire group of kids. And it's just so different from being in the classroom. Right. Um and it was really cool. And it was nice because I kind of got to start off as the assistant cross country coach. Mm -hmm. And I did that for a year. And I think in my second year, I became the head indoor track coach. Um, and it was just a cool experience to to get to, you know, to come up with like a team philosophy and how I wanted practice to be structured. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I was probably, I don't know, 24 at the time or something. And like hiring assistant coaches who yeah. were like way older than me was just, a, it was a cool experience. And it, 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 I mean, there were ups and downs there. There always are, but it was a big learning curve for me. And I think it set me up well for the rest of my career. You, you did level one so early. It's really amazing. Did you continue on in coaching education at this point? Yeah, I was going to a lot of clinics I, and I, I can't remember hmm. all of them, um, but I, there were lots of books um, that I was reading at the time. And I didn't really do a lot of formal training until mm -hmm. I transitioned in the sprint world, which is after I was mm -hmm. in Philadelphia. Um, but I think it was just like going and listening to different coaches in the area and just trying to learn primarily from from other coaches who were who were like me in terms of like 
what do other high school coaches do? Um, I think it's, it's great to learn maybe like training theory from some of these higher level coaches, but like my, my first year as head coach, I had 240 kids on the team and we had a staff of five coaches. And so it's like, okay, like how do I handle the paperwork and the physicals right. for 240 kids? Cause there's a three day window yeah. and it's, it was just madness. Um, and, and so just dealing with some of those things was, was what I was really focused on. Yeah, I think, you know, there's certainly an area of need when, you know, we look at these uh, clinics and the education, the formal education, the USATF level ones and twos and the USTF CCCAs and even Altus, um, you know, there's a certain um, path that they take from, you know, call it general to specific. But when you go to these clinics, you know, you can get everything from, you know, how to, you um, do base mileage for distance runners. So something very broad and general to how to release the shot put, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, I've seen talks where a whole hour is nothing but on how to release the shot put. So very specific uh, with uh, what they were teaching. And I think there's room for, for those, for sure. The, uh, the very specifics that, you know, how to the last three steps of the long jump and three things like that. But I think there is a need for more of what you're explaining there of like, Hey, I got 200 and something kids. Um, yeah, I know I need to get their base training in and things like that, but, uh, let's start with how do you hand out and collect 240 uniforms? How do you do physicals for that? How do you, uh, how do you manage, uh, the, 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 the roster management for track meets. I, I can't take all 240 because I can't afford the buses. So how do I, uh, do their training to where, you know, almost like half and half or something like that. Like, I think there's a big need for that. Cause I think that's, what's going on in the bulk of America for track and field on, on a lot of levels, not just high school, sometimes in college as well. I, I was just talking to a college coach that has 196 athletes on their team. Ooh. And that was my first question was like, how do you, I asked him, I was like, how do you keep them engaged? You know, you, you can think of yourself as a high school coach. There's sometimes, you know, little Tommy's in the back and, you know, no fault of your own. You just don't get to, to spend a lot of time with Tommy because they always hang out in the back and you're over here doing these things. But you want Tommy to be engaged and part of the team. So I was like, coach, how do you, 196 college kids, how do you keep them engaged? And he's like, yeah, that's our number one thing. We do probably more team bonding type things than the average uh, team because we have to make sure we're touching 196 kids, not 96, which is a lot too, by the way. So I, I think there's a big need for, for that uh, very much more general, practical type of uh, clinic and uh, speech speaking out there for that stuff. Yeah. And, and if any coaches are listening, they're like struggling with that exact same thing. I, I think my two pieces of yeah. advice would be like delegate like mm. find people who can help you even if it's like your seniors and have them have responsibilities and then just like planning and organization are, are super important um and just like making sure your whole staff is on the same page and people know like what they can do to help because a lot of times like i'm the type of person who just like wanted to do it all myself um and just like you know taking time for myself as a coach because i think it coaches at every level you know we're always it, it, there's a lot of pressure we put a lot of you know like expectations on ourselves and just taking moments for yourself um and just spending time with your loved ones or, or whatever sure. decompression you need is, is so important yeah, we're very much, uh, I don't know if it's different in other sports, but I know in track and field, we're very much a 24-7 grind culture. Like, Matthew, yeah. what are you doing uh, watching this movie? You should be reading the latest uh, Tudor Bumpa edition book or, you know, like, what are you doing? It's like, yeah, man, I like, you know, I need to get away from track and field, just like we need to get away from a lot of things uh, at some point in time. Do, do you remember, 
you know, you, you did a lot of clinics and level one and things like that. Was there anything that, you know, as you, as you look back at it now that you, you know, that struck you, like when you heard it, it could have been something as very specific of like how to coach an X, Y, Z event. It could have been something very general of like, uh, here's how you recruit. You want to go from hundred kids to 200 kids on your team. This is how you do it. Is there something that you can remember that like, like it was the, the big, you know, the clouds part of this big epiphany of like, oh my goodness, like I, I can't believe I've been doing it wrong this whole time and I can't wait to now do it correctly. Do you remember anything like that that sticks out to you? Yeah, I, I have a lot of them, but mm. one in particular, when I did my USDF CCCCCCCA uh, <laughs> sprints class, um, Sam, Vince Sam, Anderson. Sam seems, he said it, not me. I I, I know three C's, buddy. <laughs> I, I didn't say it, Sam. Uh, Vince Anderson was, was one of the, the coaches. And and when I first started coaching the sprints, I approached it the way a distance runner would. It's like, okay, we got we to gotta run. And um, I, I was eating lunch with Vince and he basically explained to me like, okay, distance runners, the main thing they need is like aerobic engines. And so you run a lot. And it was like sprinters need to sprint. And I was like, oh my God, like that makes so much sense. Like you just literally approach it from whatever you need. And, and I think that's been really helpful as I explore other events and, uh, and I'm learning the hurdles now and all these different things. It's like, okay, like figure out like, what are your, this is a damn path term, like, what are your KPIs? Like what are the most important things for that event and then train that and like at the high school level there's not a lot of time to be super technical like i i might get like 10 to 15 minutes in practice to work with my hurdler because i have 35 other kids doing block starts over there and so it's like i have to be super um like i don't know efficient with time that i'm using and figuring out like okay what are really really basic cues that i can give a kid based on like what is the primary thing that they need to be successful in the event I love that example. First of all, you brought up, you know, one of the um, uh, all-time goats of coaching, right? Vince Anderson. So as soon as you said his name, I was like, well, yeah, whatever he said, listen uh, to what he said for sure. Uh, and I love something as simple as like, hey, you know, distance runners need to run distance to get better. Okay, well, sprinters need to sprint to get better. Uh, and it seems so like like today, if I were to say that to you, you know, you'd been like, uh, yeah, of course, Mike, Like I, I know that. Uh, but we forget that we don't know what we don't no. And so again, you know, I keep harping back on today's episode about going back to the basics. Uh, those are things I, I the one that's uh, kind of maybe spur on that question was I remember going to a hurdles clinic early in my career, uh, Marshall Goss, former head coach, Indiana University, and he talked about uh, moving the hurdles in and moving the hurdles down so that they can learn their three-step pattern and learn it efficiently, et cetera. And I remember I'd, you know, I'd coached probably for a year at that point. I and had done a little bit of hurdling, terrible hurdling back in high school. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like I, I remember him saying, hey, those marks on the track, well, that's for competition. That doesn't mean for practice, you have to put the hurdle. And, 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 you know, that seems so like someone just heard that and was like, oh yeah, of course, Mike, the hurdles are movable. You can move them where you want. As a new coach, it was unfathomable to me that the hurdles did not go on their marks. That's what we pay them for. That's what, and by the way, it's 39 inches. So they have to be at 39 inches for practice, right? I mean, it's just, and so to hear coach Goss say, Oh no, no, bring them down, you know, the 33 or 36, whatever you need for that development of that athlete and bring them in. They don't have to be, what is it? Uh, 10 yards. They don't have to be 10 yards for the boys, bring them in. And then as they get better, you can move them out and move them up. And it was just like, like, I still remember like the, the clouds, parting and like oh, I can see I can see how to coach hurdles now and that stuck with me thankfully the rest of my coaching career so I love when there's you know we get all these different when your first clinic you went to a thousand things got thrown at you and you uh you know ingested 500 of them uh but there were one or two that were just like the real nuggets that helped you 
move forward and become better as a coach. Yeah, exactly. And I think like there, there's so many events in track and field, like in, it's really hard for people who, you know, probably like if you weren't a multi in high school, you probably haven't done most of them. And so if you have to be a coach who works with all these different things, you just really have to find out like, how can you distill down to like, what makes sense to you and what's going to make sense with the level of athlete that you're working on? Like different athletes obviously have different athletic IQs. Um, and so just figuring out like how to explain that, you know, that's, that's a bread and butter. Yeah. That, it, it, you hit the nail on the head a little while ago when you said, you know, the real skill is how do you explain something, a skill or a technique to a kid and how do you do it in different ways? Right. So yep. what, what works for one kid does not work for the next one. You've got to figure out how to say the same thing in a different way that uh, that kid can pick up and, and understand. So how did you, you know, when you go to a college event or track meet or clinic, uh, it's easy to say, Hey, so what events do you coach? Cause primarily we coach throws or we coach jumps or we coach sprints or whatnot. Um, you know, the really good ones we've learned here on the podcast, like the superb, like the top five type coaches are coaches that can coach anything. They're like, you know, if I, if I have to coach throws, I coach throws. If I coach jumps, I coach jumps on the high school level. When we go to high school clinics or track meets, I, I've stopped asking what events do you coach? Because, you know, invariably the answer is I, I coach high school, man, I, all of them. I, I coach all of them. How did you get into, you know, this distance runner background? How did you get into coaching sprinters and hurdlers? Yeah. So when I, I came to Episcopal Academy, they already had three distance coaches and, you know, oh, where do we're you not a in? big school. <laughs> um, like the the whole high school is 540 kids. Um, oh, so wow. it, it's it's a really small group. Um and so like, you know, you have three distance coaches, you don't need another one. Um, and so I just, I just wanted to be involved. Um, I wanted to, for my big thing, I, th I think teachers should just be involved with the community as much as they can. Um, and for me, I wanted to be involved athletically. And so I was just like, put me anywhere. Like I will learn any event. Um, and you were talking earlier about like in people feeling like, oh, I can't watch this movie after read the new edition or whatever. Like that's me in a nutshell. Like I'm always like sitting there like, okay, like, oh, there's a new article or new podcast or whatever. And always trying to learn. And I just knew like I could learn anything. I, I might not be able to do it myself, but I can figure out how to coach it. Um, and so they needed, they needed help in the sprints. And um, I basically, when I was a head coach back in Maryland, I had an assistant coach who was the sprint coach. And I was like, yo, man, I need help. Like, give me a crash course right you now. You called him back I, up. In, yeah, exactly. Um, I should have been paying attention. I'm sorry. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so I, I was able to get through one outdoor season. Um, it, but I, I knew that I, like, I needed help. Like I, I want to coach at a high level and I, I was not at a high level at that point in time. Um, so I, I signed up for the the USTFCCCCA, uh, the, the sprints and hurdles coach uh, mm -hmm. class. And so I just did that the, the first summer. And that was like revolutionary for me. Um, just being able to, it was with um, Coach Tolbert uh, at Harvard, oh, Tommy okay. Badon, yeah, um, Gabe Sanders and Vince Anderson. Oh, so I, I lucked out with some of the best of the best. Um, and just getting like an idea of like, okay, like what should training theory look like? Um, and just being able to make connections. Like I would encourage coaches, even if you have a good understanding mm -hmm. of whatever um, your content is, like just going there and being able to meet other coaches and people to, to bounce ideas off of. Um, yep. They were coaches in that class who'd been coaching for 30 years and were high level D1 coaches who were just there just, you know, maybe to make connections with people or just, you know, hear from other coaches um, mm -hmm. that maybe they don't get to interact with regularly. Um, and so that was really cool. 
Um, and I, the next summer, uh, it was it was actually COVID. Um, so I did the 303 class virtually, the, the jumps class, and just trying to learn as much as I could um, and just diving into things. And I've continued to try to advance from there. Do you, do you, enjoy, this is going to be a terrible question. What, <laughs> what do you enjoy more now at this point in your career, coaching sprinters, hurdlers, or distance runners? Oh, definitely sprinters. I, yeah. I think um, being a distance coach at practice isn't particularly exciting. You're like, <laughs> go for a run or holding a stopwatch. Um, and, and so like, I'm all about sprinters because it's all about biomechanics. And mm. for, like with my physics background, I like, I'm constantly at practice um, being like, absolutely not. Like your angles cannot look that way. Or like, uh, I, I tell them that they always like plantar flex their, um, their toes are pointed down. I'm like, stop being a ballerina. And so like on every rep, there's always something to improve upon. Mm. Um, and, and so just that ability to just constantly be working with kids and on every day, um, like, you know, like being able to help them improve little bits um, from one rep to one rep. It, it's just more exciting to me. Um, and it keeps me busy. Um, yeah. You know, just like, okay, like this year I'm learning the triple jump. And it's like, well, that's a completely different beast from the long jump. Right. Um, and, and so I'm all about the the speed and power world these days. How do you, you know, you're obviously a very intelligent person. I don't think anybody can get a physics and or computer science degree and not be intelligent. Even if you got C's, because C's get degrees, uh, <laughs> to get those degrees with C's is still, you have to be intelligent. And I'm sure uh, the kids at Episcopal are very intelligent themselves. However, they don't have college degrees in these types of uh, academics. How do you, and maybe you don't do a very good job, you know, uh, you know, be, be truthful here. How do you, talk to a 17 year old without blowing their mind, right? Like, like another great person coaching education wise, we haven't mentioned here is Boo Schexnader. And I really think his true gift is he is able to take very high complex um, ideas and thoughts and explain it to a five-year-old, th this guy right here, this five-year-old, I, like I, I listen to him and I feel like I can coach anything. He's such a great teacher. How do you, you know, you know, physics at a very high level, biomechanics at a very high level, and your 17-year-old kid may be in AP classes and that, but they still don't have it to the degree and the experience you have. How do you, I don't want to use, okay, I'm just going to use the words. How do you dumb it down for them? How do you, and I don't mean how you dumb it down for them. How do you keep yourself from talking at the level that you can talk naturally? You got to talk down a level, you know, so that they understand. How do you handle that conflict that has to be maybe occurring in your brain? Yeah, I th two things jump to mind. One, um, my personal philosophy and just in like theory of how people learn things or like motor learning theory is the first thing I always want to do is just show them. So I try to show them without giving them any instruction. And I'm mm -hmm. just like, do this. Mm -hmm. And it's just, uh, you know, you always have to, you have to think in advance and plan like what is the basic motion I want them to be able to do. So like I was teaching a kid the triple jump and I was like, okay, we're just going to do like left, left, left. Just like, let's cycle that leg. And just like, I'm not going to explain anything. I'm not giving you any cues. And I think kids are really good if you just show them something a couple times about just, okay, like, I think I can do that. Because mm -hmm. if you, if you talk to a high schooler, you're either three things are going to happen. They could get it, which is unlikely. They could not be listening because they're a high schooler or they could overthink it. And they often overthink things. And so I think the less words you can give a high school kid, the more likely that they're going to be able to figure things out. And it's um, like, it's okay to like, at least I found to like communicate with kids written, 
Um, mm -hmm. So I'll like, you know, syndicate a message or an email um, and maybe even like a quick film review. But I think them being able to see it, because um, when you just, when you try to verbally explain like complex things, like, I don't know, leg cycling, it, it just doesn't work well. Do you ever find yourself when you're trying to show them, so having them do it and get the feel, do you ever have to catch yourself like, you know, you want to use words that are maybe a little bit more complex words that I would not understand personally, um, and have to figure out other words to use instead? Yeah. And, and so that goes to the second part of your question. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I try to do is I try to like not be, not use my teacher voice at practice. Mm -hmm. They get enough of that um, in in the classroom. And so I, I try to use words that they're familiar with. So I, I actually try to speak and I like almost change the way that I talk um, when I'm with them. And it's really, really casual when I'm with the athletes. And, and I think they respect that. And, you know, there are times where you have to like, break out your teacher voice and everybody gets scared. Um, but just talking to them in a, in a, in a casual manner, um, I, I think really helps. And just using like as simple terms as possible. And sometimes it doesn't work. And, and sometimes you do need to up the, you know, the level of complexity of what you're speaking. Mm. But simple things like, like land flat rather than like planar flexion. It is just really important that like Right. You have to know your audience when you're explaining things. Yeah, that, that's a great example. That's exactly what I was going for. You could those those say the same things. One might be understandable to a 16 year old, and one might be understandable to a 22 year old who's studying uh, physics. It, it, not that that's that complex of a word, but someone who has more experience when they're 22 years old. A 16 year old's like planter. What? What are you talking about? Oh, land flat. Oh, okay. I know what flat means. I got it. Yeah. That. And I think sometimes we, and I don't know. If, I honestly think it's born out of ego, but not the ego of like, I want to show you how smart I am. I think it's more of, if I don't show you how smart I am, you'll think I'm not very smart. I think it's more of like insecurity when we try to use, not when we try, when we do use these bigger, more scientific words with our kids or even amongst ourselves when we're talking, you know, in between the halls of classes at USTF CCCA or USATF, I think it's more of insecurity of like, oh, if I don't show Matthew that I know what the proper term for planner, um, see, I don't even know. I haven't coached in 17 years. So I don't even know these words anymore. But, um, you, you know, if I don't say those words, Matthew's going to think less of me that I don't really know how to coach when the opposite is true. If you know how to simplify these statements uh, to 16 year olds or 20 year olds in college, like that's the real genius of coaching when you can talk to a 16 year old, 20 year old and have them understand these complex uh, activities that you're working on. And, and that was something I really struggled with my first year of mm. being a sprint coach. Cause I wanted to like, prove to these kids that like I knew what I was talking about and um, like I don't physically look like a sprinter and so a lot of these athletes were like who is this guy and why is he the one to to work with me mm -hmm. um, and, and so I think it took it took me a while to get comfortable um, but I, I think it's you know like uh, the same thing you kind of do in the classroom is you demand excellence like you demand your best because um, if, if they're not doing that like what what are you out here doing um, and so I think just having those expectations for the kids um, it, it, and just allows me to be more casual. Like we set really, really high goals and we, when we've had a lot of great success um, and you need to be able to achieve at a high level, but that allows me to like be more friendly and speak more at your level rather than like trying to impress you and show off like all these complicated things. Uh, this is going into year four for you at Episcopal? 
Uh, I'm in year six right now. You're six. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm from Alabama. So counting's a little hard for me. So thank you for that <laughs> correction. Uh, you gave one good example there of what's changed, right? Like, um, you know, the first year you felt like I have to prove something. And now maybe by year six, you're like, okay, I'm in my groove. What what else has changed in six years? You know, six years as in your own program. And what I mean by your own program, you're, I know you're the assistant coach there, but your sprints and hurdles, that's your program. Uh, you've asked for development and advancement from them. What has developed and advanced for you besides the, I don't feel like I have to quote unquote prove myself anymore uh, from day one. Do you just mean like in, in my coaching practices? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a lot of just like having established routines mm -hmm. and, and being able to work with the, the kids on those things. Um, and, and I think early on, I, I always wanted to like, you know, like do something flashy and cool. And I think uh, this year I've really just been trying to go back to the basics. Um, and I think it's just, like they're high schoolers, like they're, they're 15, like give them really good fundamentals mm. that will lead them to success in the future. And whether or not that is trying to go division one, two, three, whatever, or just like, can I know how to train myself when I'm an adult? Mm. Um, like, do I have, I don't know, like a strong core and these, these other things, um, and just trying not to be like too flashy. Like I think there's like, and it's funny because I'm the one here showing off my app, which is you know all, all <laughs> very AI flashy, and right? <laughs> but yeah, I think like go, going to the fundamentals is, is the most important thing, and so yeah. you you have to do those well before you can go off and do anything else. And so I try to do that with my athletes, you know, in, in training theory, but I also try to do that like in my own practices and my own coaching. Hmm. What do you still have to improve on? Oh, literally everything. Like, I don't feel like I know anything. <laughs> That's at all. a cop out um, answer. I want specifics. I love that though. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I think there's always like more technical knowledge I can learn specifically about the jumps. Like, um, I, uh, we didn't talk about this too much, but I, I ended up doing the Altus mentorship with Dan Path. Um, oh, yeah. Dan's a freaking wizard. Awesome. And uh, I was on a call with him and, and I have a high jumper who's pretty good. Um, and so we did a call because I just like couldn't figure out how to improve his high jump. And we were sitting there with Dan and I was like, oh my God, this makes so much sense. Like he's going to jump six, eight this year. And then we literally went to practice that day and I was like, what the hell are we doing? Like, I'm so lost right now. Um, and so I think it's, it, there, there's something to it about like, you can always read something or like watch a drill on YouTube, mm -hmm. but is that the right drill for your athlete? Or like, do you know how to explain that? Um, and just more practice um, and always, always trying to learn. And I think one thing I'm, I'm really trying to do more um, over the next couple of years is like trying to give back to other coaches. Um, and, and that's one of the things I wanted to kind of try to do with this app is like, how can I help other people? Because one, that's like, that's why I got into education. Like I wanted to help students and I wanted to be remembered and I wanted to have an impact. Um, and, and like same thing for other coaches. Like I'm sure there are coaches who could benefit from talking to me, just like I've benefited from so many other coaches um, who've been able to assist me in my journey. So let's transition to the app then. So why an app? Um, there's a lot of avenues for you to do your mission that you had there of giving back to others and being a teacher and helping improve, uh, you know, kids on the track and uh, other coaches in the the state or in the region or in the country, right? There's, you could speak at clinics, you can do your own webinars, um, you can mentor people. There's a lot of avenues. Uh, you know, now that I'm thinking about this, it's really a dumb question because I'm talking to a computer science physics guy, but <laughs> the question is why an app? Yeah. And you hit the nail on the head. Like I'm a computer scientist. So this actually like started as a project that we did in my classroom. Um, so I, I teach AP computer science. I teach cybersecurity. 
Uh, we have an artificial intelligence class. And so like, a, a, at least at my school and, and at many schools I've been to, the the track kids and in particular the distance kids tend to be a, a tech nerds, at least from what I've seen. Um, and so I had a kid who was really interested in trying to find avenues of um, computer science and track and field. And so he was just working on this this project. And we do a, a, like a facial recognition project where you can like, uh, if you've ever seen like the Snapchat filters and it like sees your face and like puts things on it, like we did a project like that. And he was like, well, can I apply this technology to like all parts of the body? And I was like, well, I think so. And so he was able to identify the different parts of it. And so it actually came from one of my students who was working on this idea of like, oh, like what can I track as I go? Um, and it was basically like me and him bouncing ideas off of each other from there. So it's just something that um, I thought was really cool that one of my students was working on. And a lot of the ideas, like I'll, I'll show them my code in class and I'll be like, okay, guys, like, what do you think? Like, how do we approach this problem? And so it's been a really cool experience for these kids because a lot of kids want to uh, study computer science at my school is like, let's work on a real world project like together. Like, how would you approach this problem? And, and a lot of times it's a problem I've actually already solved. So I, I've like thought through it, um, but it gives them like a real world experience of trying to tackle some sort of problem. What, what language do you use to code an app for an Apple and a Google Play Store? Yeah, so different ones, but um, for the Android app, I program in Kotlin, which is like for the tech nerds out there, like somewhat similar to Java. And then... Apple coding is in a program language called Swift. Okay. Yeah, I knew like Python and um, other languages that are, you know, again, I, I stopped back when I, get, when I got done being a CS major, I was done. I quit looking at what all the different, like, I saw the other day, not the other day, a few years ago, all the different Cs. Cause you know, I was, I did, I was like, oh, I did C++. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh my God, there's like a billion visual C, basic C. And I was like, oh yeah, they, they blew this out of the water. I'm glad I was smart enough to get out when I got out on what they did there. Yeah. And I'd never worked on an app before. Like I'm yeah. totally learning on the fly. Like chat GPT has been extremely helpful yeah. with this um, yeah. as I've been going through it. And, and like, let's say somebody listening wants to start, like what I did was I found starter code mm -hmm. and I used that starter code to just like okay, let me change this number and see what happens. And like slowly built things up from scratch. Like I have, this is my first app I've ever worked on. I do not make apps professionally. Like I'm totally like in the dark here. And so I think like if you have a willingness to like try and fail and and, and fail a lot, but you're like willing to persevere and tinker, um, like I feel like anybody can become a programmer. Anybody could have done what I've done. And so I guess like earlier you asked like why an app? Well, I, I think it's a way that like anybody could use this. Um, and I thought about like, oh, like what if I made like a website or this, that, or the other thing? But I think like everybody has their phone on them. And so I wanted a way to be able to share it with mm -hmm. people pretty easily. Um, and And so like, having the, the Apple store just like take care of all the processing and the, the right. distribution, um, it, it just made my life a lot easier. Uh, first of all, I appreciate your humble statement there of that, you know, if you're willing to persevere and fail and fail a lot and just, you know, have some stick to itiveness there, uh, anybody can become a coder. I also do believe that. Now, it's very easy for me because I'm not a coder to say that. So for someone who is a coder, uh, I do appreciate that. Uh, and especially, and we're going to get into the, this a little bit here in a second, uh, now with GPTs and stuff out there, like, 
I know there's still some very, it's a very specialized knowledge. I get it. I know a lot of coders. I know coders who are 60 years old. I know coders who, you know, fresh out of college and they're 25 years old. Um, and I know the difference. <laughs> uh, and there's not much, in my opinion, uh, especially with today's younger kids. They're they're very high advanced uh, with what they're doing. But uh, I appreciate that humble answer. Some people with very specialized knowledge, even coaches sometimes will be like, nope, not everybody can do what I do. You know, you've got to, you know, the experiences that I've had, the education I've had. And it's like, I don't know, maybe unless you're a surgeon or that astronaut. I don't know. I kind of think there's a lot of jobs a lot of people could do if they really stuck to it. Uh, so let's get, we're kind of behind the scene there with the coding and things like that in the app uh, store and structure. Let's get in front of the camera. So what does it do? I have it on my phone. You mentioned iPad, so I can have it on my iPad. Uh, I, I'm working with a sprinter. I'm, fa I'm facing it to the sprinter. What does it do and what is it showing me? What am I as a coach? What information am I gleaning and therefore can make some corrections for the athlete? Yeah, I mean, basically you hold it up and it, it, it looks like a modified version of your camera app. So it just, you see like whatever your your camera would see um and it works best with one athlete in the frame at a time um, and it's trying to detect like okay like where is the human body and um basically what it does is it draws a line that connects different points so it might draw a, a line that connects your hip to your knee and your knee to your ankle and then between that i have just a number like right around your uh, i physically can choose where that number goes it goes right next to your knee um, and it just tells you like oh okay like that athlete is at a 75 degree angle for their front knee and that might be like a little too sharp like they might not be able to push properly because their legs are just a little too tight and so um it's just different lines on the body that is able to tell the the coach um really easily with a number um or uh, the color of the line, um, like, okay, like there might need to be an adjustment here. Um, and like, I, I've gotten discussions with people on Twitter. Um, and like, I agree, like this app, and this sort of technology in general, because there's a, a couple of these kind of popping up now, it's not 100% accurate. But at least for me personally, like, that's not the idea. Like, I'm not trying to do scientific research. Like, I'm trying to make a 13 year old run a second faster in the hundred meter dash. And if this is able to assist them or it's something that gets my kids excited and they're like, like, uh, I know like people um, really like the idea of like doing free lap timing and posting the times and, like kids get really excited about that. Like kids get really excited to use the app because it's fun, it's technology and it, it, it's simple. Um, and, and so that's kind of my idea right now is like, I just want to be able to get something that, that helps people and, and maybe over time improve it and make it a little bit more advanced. Um, but I, I really want to be able to empower coaches to make their own decisions on what they want to do training wise. The app doesn't tell you like, oh, this kid needs to move their hips because every, every kid's different. And like, I don't know your athletes and what you're trying to work on. Um, there's like a little page um, that's helpful. And like, this is what my freshman use is like, they're like, I don't know what angles it should be. And so there's a thing that's like the general recommended numbers that coaching education uses. Um, uh, I, I was gonna that's, that's kind of where it's at. Yeah, I was going to ask you, because you had to have parameters in there if you have a, you know, a stoplight system going on, red, yellow, green. Yeah. Like, so you had to have some numbers from somewhere. I was wondering about that. Uh, as the user, do I have to do any thought, do anything besides open the app and point and, uh, and shoot? Meaning, do I have to... Um, you know, you were, we're dealing with phones and iPads, so touchscreen. Do I have to show it like here's the knee joint, here's the hip joint, or does it automatically recognize those features? Yeah, it, it automatically detects all of that. Wow. Um, I'll, I'll say like if anybody's gonna gonna use the app again, like it really doesn't like when there's more than one mm. um, person in the frame, and that's just like 
how technology is right now. Like five years from now, like it might be able to do multiple kids at the same time or anything, but like the tech that is available to me as a high school teacher to give to anybody else does not do that easily um, right now. And it's just basically like point and shoot and you're up and running in like one second, basically. Um, so it, it's been pretty cool. And I've seen a couple of the posts you made on Twitter, which this is probably a good place because if you want to go see some examples of this, what's your Twitter handle, Matthew? So people can uh, go. That is a great question. Oh, I'm sure it's as a Twitter aficionado, how do you not know that by heart? I have a ta- I have yeah. a tattooed right here by Twitter. <laughs> uh, EA, yeah, EA Coach Davis. EA Coach Davis. Okay, so EA for Episcopal Academy. Uh, thank you yep. for making that easy. And then Coach Davis, all one word, no spaces, no dots, no dashes. Correct. EA yep. Coach Davis. So if you want to see some videos some uh, tweets that he's put out so you can go kind of see a visual of it go check that out um and it's video not photo meaning i don't take a photo of it to show me it's real time when that video is uh displaying the athlete yes correct and, and um i i wish the android version could do this android cannot currently record at and I, people have asked me to add that feature and I spent, I literally spent over a hundred hours trying to get that feature to work and it didn't work. Um, so like if you're using the Android phone, you can just like swipe down and screen record, just like the basic screen recording that happens on a device on the iOS versions, there's a record button there. And so this is what I'll do is like, I'll have a kid go and I'll hit record. Um, and it just waits for you to hit stop basically when the, the kids left the blocks. Um, and it'll save it directly to your camera reel. Um, and, and so this has been cool. Like you can use it sometimes and you, you want the live video, but sometimes you want to be able to save that to show kids. Right. Um, and like it, on most iPads, you can like annotate over videos after the fact. And so yeah. I can kind of give them some feedback that way. One of the other things I've been using it for is I'll just have somebody record film. And then after the fact, like I will literally hold the iPad up to my laptop screen and you can use this on recorded video. And that's kind of how I started it. Like I was just holding this up to like YouTube videos and like, oh, okay, like what angle does Asafa Powell use getting out of the blocks and just testing different things. Um, so you, that's how I do um, max velocity stuff. Hold on, but, let me make sure I understood that. Uh, I, I think I had my head another direction, but now I'm connecting back to the path you actually were going on. I can have a video up of, you use Asafa Powell there as an example. I can take my iPad to that as if I were really there with Asafa Powell and it will show Asafa's angles. Exactly. You could, If you hold it up to anything, it just looks at the camera. Wow. And so whatever you put in front of it. So like, it's it's always going to be more accurate when you're, you know, live in person because you can move it around. But right. like I... Um, you can't do motion analysis easily of like somebody running full speed. Like I can't see the angles because they disappear so quickly. So I'll film in slow-mo and then I'll then take the iPad to my laptop and look at slow-mo film so I can see, oh, like what was your angle at every second of the motion? Mm. And I think this is the sort of technology that will then eventually be able to use for other events. So like, I don't know anything about throwing. I have never worked with throwers in my life, but I could imagine that there's a world where you care about, I don't know, the angle of release of the arm. And that would be really hard to see in real time. So you could record it in slow-mo and this is the sort of thing that, oh, okay, like now I can see what angle they release from because I use the app on a video. Mm. And, and maybe in the future, I'll have the ability to like, you can upload a video, but I'm working on it. So. <laughs> slow and steady. That, that's the way, that's the way all good programs happen, by the way. Uh, can you move the camera with the athlete? And here's what I mean. Um, so I, I'm, I'm working with a hurdler. 
does the camera have to stay fixed and therefore my screen would have to have the blocks all the way to hurdle number one, or can I be more zoomed more tight on the athlete and follow the athlete towards uh, hurdle one? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And and I don't want to be too complicated, but basically like the, the way physics works is you're always going to be best if you're perpendicular to the athlete. Um, as you turn, you you run into like, it's called parallax issues. You, you run into the issue of like the angle when the athlete is off to the side a little bit mm. isn't accurate compared to when they're, they're perpendicular to you. I also was concerned about the parallax. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my other hobby is saying words that I've never heard before. So, <laughs> uh, okay. What about let's, you know, I'm a hurdles fan here, so I'm always going to mm -hmm. be angled, angled, no, all pun intended there, uh, for the hurdles. Can I, so keeping, keeping square with the, the runner, can I have the hurdles? Can I do the hurdles and it'll show me lead leg and, and trail leg angles. I'm thinking you're one sided. So it might be harder on the trail leg. I don't know. Yeah. So the, the feature I'm, I'm working on right now, and, and hopefully the, the feature is released by the time listeners get to listen to this is I want coaches to be able to choose the, uh, what angles the app thinks is correct. So right now, like it's set for 90 and 120, and I want to add like a master user feature where the coach can say, okay, like today I'm working with this event and these are the optimal angles I'm looking for. And tomorrow I'm working with a different event. And so I basically want, just want to empower people to be able to choose what they want to use this for. Um, so I I'm going to eventually have the ability, you can choose what joint angles you want. So like, I'm sure there's certain events where you don't care about the angle between your forearm and your upper arm, right? Like that elbow angle doesn't matter, but some events they do. And so the goal is eventually you can just toggle whatever angles you're looking for. You can choose what angles optimal. If you just want it to always be the same color, like I want to see the left leg is red and the right leg is orange. And I just want to be able to create like a master user function so that you can ultimately customize it in any way that you want. So it could really be used for any event. And, and maybe after, like, I've had people test it, like maybe I make preset modes and like somebody has shown me, like, like somebody who's a genius hurdle coach could be like, okay, this is exactly how I set it up. And it was really useful for the hurdles or really useful for the throws. Cause I'm, I'm an amateur here. Um, and I don't want to say I'm just a high school coach, but like, I'm, I'm still learning. Um, and, and so I'm sure there are people who will come up with things, um, that, that I've never even thought of. Um, I know a lot of users have come up with ways to break it that I never thought of. So I'm sure people will come up with ways to use it um, advantageously. Uh, and, and so that's kind of the idea right now is I want this to be able to use for everything and it's super early in the process. And um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm learning so much as I go through this process myself. You are at least today, very focused on the angle, the angles. Uh, is yeah. there a distance or speed component today or in the thought process for tomorrow? Yeah, I I, I have some ideas of how to do that. Um, I, I would love to be able to, um, I don't know, like do a 10 yard fly or, or, or something like that. Uh, I have no idea how accurate that would be. Mm -hmm. And so that'll be like a fun, probably a summer project for me is to be able to calculate the speed um, or maybe like putting like a, a timer up or the ability for someone to enter a time. So you could calculate distance or you could calculate forces or, or all of these things. Um, I, I think there's so many uses this could be used for. And I, I think other people are going to pop up with apps like this as well. And, and I hope this inspires 
somebody who's way smarter than I am to make a way more polished version of this app. Um, and But I think it, it could, this technology, particularly in five years when the tech's a little bit more polished, um, it will, we will have this for like my kids when they are running track and field. Yeah, I had someone ask me at a recent track uh, clinic about an app that they could just, you know, shoot at the athlete and it would give the stride length. They didn't want like there's mm -hmm. a opto jump and some other things that, you know, have given stride length and even ground contact times, et cetera. Um, but they wanted something that would, you know, I could just much like your app. Yeah. I just point and, and not even click, just point it at the athlete. And as they're running, uh, when this contact left foot contacts down and then the next one, the right foot, it tells me the stride length was 1.3 meters or whatever. I have no clue uh, of that. And I was like, yeah, I don't know of anything. I, I pointed him towards your app of like, Hey, here's something that might be close ish or one day be close ish. Um, but I do know, cause you know, one of our like dream spaces for track and field as an equipment manufacturer is to be able to have like a chip in a discus or, uh, you know, mm -hmm. a flat chip on a shot put that once released, as soon as it hits the ground automatically gives you your distance. Right. I mean, we've all seen it, uh, when, you know, the shot put hits the ground or the weight throw hits the ground and, you know, we we're, we're looking where we think it hit. And then the official comes up and is yeah. a foot or head or behind or whatever. Um, it happens rarely, but it does happen. And it's like, oh, well, what if we just took that out? And, you know, we have a sensor that tells us exactly when it hits. But at least the last time we looked into it, the GPS censoring of that was not accurate enough, you know, for track and field, we're down to the, you know, the centimeter and, and of things. And it just wasn't that accurate yet. And so I, when I was talking to that coach about this, you know, dream space app of uh, uh, stride length, I was like, yeah, I'm not sure that our cameras in a real time function. Now we've had things like Dartfish and other um, software where I can tell it, uh, you know, Hey, this hurdle leg is, you know, 36 inches. So now you have that as a fixed point. Now tell me what the stride length here was. Um, but that wasn't in real time, you know? So I think that, I don't know if that's the real problem or what. Yeah. I, and that's something uh, that was actually one of the very first features I tried to implement was like calculating stride length. Cause again, I, I mentioned at the beginning, like I was trying to figure out are my kids stepping in front of themselves and can I prevent hamstring injuries from happening? Mm -hmm. It's like, that was like, I had the epidemic of hamstring injuries my first year of coaching. Um, it, and it's a hard problem to solve, particularly with accuracy. And so if a coach, like some people are like really into their stride length numbers, if you want an athlete at, let's just say like 2.05 meters compared to like two meters, it's really hard to have that much margin of error. Right. Uh, and the, the technology is just not really there yet. Um, so I don't want to make any promises of, of yeah. what can be done. I think in the future, uh, particularly like when phones, so when phones can go up to 240 frames per second mm. all the time or, or even higher than that, um, I, I think it'll open up a lot more avenues for these sorts of apps um, to be able to use with much greater levels of precision. Yeah. Yeah, it really is amazing. You know, we're talking here in 2024 when you're listening to this of uh, the things that we can do. And we go back just 10 years ago, go back to 2014, and none of this was possible. Yeah. I mean, you know, technology continues to move literally at the speed of light. So, um, you know, you keep mentioning in five years. Yeah. What, what is 2029 going to bring in regards to what we're able to do with a phone or an app or who know, or a, a iPad or who knows some new device? We didn't know what iPads were. And uh, heck, we really didn't know what smartphones were uh, even really about 10 years ago. So uh, it is amazing what you know, what will be tomorrow that we can utilize to help our uh, young people run farther, run faster and jump and throw farther as well. It's really amazing. 
what what else um you know not knowing the app and you know not being a coach anymore what else about the app should we know for people who are curious about using it yeah i mean i think like I'll, I'll say like i'm a high school coach and i made this for high school coaches um and so i think a lot of there are a, a couple different things out there right now that you can like buy um to like like monthly subscriptions and you like, or like you pay per video and it'll analyze your thing. Um, my vision for this is like, I, I'm not trying to retire off of other high school coaches or anything. So it, it's all like, if people are worried about the cost, it, it is a paid app, but it's just a one-time purchase and it's always going to be a one-time purchase. Um, and so it's uh, between eight and $11, depending on where in the world you are. Um, but it's just like a one-time purchase thing. And I want to, I want to keep it that way. Cause I want it to be something that really anybody can afford and anybody can use. Um, and just like, you know, increase access for, for anybody. I love it. So track motion, all one word, T R A C K M O T I O N. Correct. Track motion. Correct. Th yep. Thanks for, thanks for not getting cute and making it like T R A K and uh, all that, <laughs> you know, M O S H U N or something. Thanks for keeping it the, the real, real spellings. I think that's a lost art when people create websites and team names and brands and they forget that people have to go Google these things and you know, you, you misspell them on purpose to be cool. Uh, you're losing out on people trying to find your app or clothing or whatever you're, you're naming there. So track motion over on the uh, Apple podcast app, um, <laughs> Apple podcast. Don't go to the Apple podcast app. You will not get track motion there. Go to the Apple app store or the Google play store. Now, Matthew, to wrap us up here, you know, something I'm curious about, something that I, um, I like to always continue to push forward to is technology. Um, I think we like to, um, uplift the past and demonize the present. We like to say that, you know, social media, or phones, uh, or Google are the devil. And, you know, when I was a kid back in the eighties, you know, we had newspapers and radio and it was so much better. And I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. Um, all things can be used, um, for bad. Uh, in fact, all these things that you think were good back in the day when they first came out were, um, uh, prophesized as being the end of the world. When the, when phones first came out, like landline phones, like, you know, Alexander Graham Bell, that was going to ruin the world. That was going to bring down society. Uh, when radios transitioned to TV, even little black and white TV screens, that was going to be the downfall of society uh, was that. And of course, when the internet came out, that of course was also going to be the downfall of society. So when people talk about social media is going to be the downfall of society and cell phones and um, AI and all this stuff, I'm kind of like, yeah, this is just a new thing that you're afraid of that will eventually you know, work into our normal days and lives. Uh, as someone who has presumably, because you brought it up first, have used some of these uh, new technologies like GPTs or uh, et cetera, how can coaches and, and maybe, yeah, I'll, I'll keep it as coaches, but obviously as a teacher, Matthew, you have some other ways potentially, how can coaches use some of these new things like the GPTs for the betterment of their coaching, their lives, time efficiencies, homeworks, et cetera, whatever else they may be doing. How, how, how have you used them and how can you like maybe think of other, how coaches may be able to use these things? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of ways to use it wrong. Um, like I remember, I don't know, like a month ago, I went into chat GPT and was like, write me a workout to work on max velocity. Oh. And it was like, okay, do a warm up and then do 12 block starts and then run six, two hundreds and then do this and then do this. And I was like, if you did this, you would kill someone. Kill someone. Um, and, and so like, it's not perfect. 
I think one of the things that I use it for is like the daily administrative stuff that like I need to deal with. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, like proofread this email or like find a way to like, like, I don't know, like I use a ton in the classroom, like optimize this code or like work on this thing. And I think in the future, um, maybe like in a year or two from now, um, you might have like a little like AI assistant. Like if you remember like Clippy from Microsoft Word, mm -hmm. like I think we're going to have Clippies on our computer and I could just like, click on it and be like, okay, like schedule a Zoom meeting with Mike to talk about Gil mm -hmm. connections or whatever it is. And like, it'll just like go do that for me. And so I think it's just going to continue to grow. Personally, I use it a lot to like, um, you can give it files, you can upload a file and it'll like summarize it for you, or you can use it to analyze data. Um, so like maybe in the future, I could be like, okay, like here are the workouts and the, like the splits that my kids ran, like yeah. find some pattern in it or, or, or who knows what, what we can use it for. Um, I don't think right now there's anything that you should be using it for that like revolutionize your, your coaching training. Right. Um, but there might be like administrative stuff that could be really helpful um, for, for people to, to use. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, obviously I don't use it for the coaching side because I don't coach. Um, and I, I haven't used it for like data analysis of like feeding it data and giving me analysis back. But I do wonder, um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say, especially for distance running. Um, but I wonder for distance running, if you can feed it, you know, uh, the results of different 1K repeat workouts and uh, with the, you know, a data set of what the long runs have become, if that can give you something, maybe, maybe, maybe it's something as, uh, well, I'm gonna say as simple as, um, you know, two mile or 5k projections, you, you know, and again, everything has to go per, you know, it's projecting perfect. You know, your kid has to be at the right emotional state and the weather has to be right. And the race set up and all these kind of things. So it's not going to be, you know, an automatic if that kid's going to run that, but you know, some, um, so, some forecasting, if you will, of what kids maybe their potential could or should be. Uh, on the administrative side that you mentioned, that, that's where I do use it a lot. You know, I think of coaches who are, especially guys, you know, for me, I, I have a lot of stuff going on up here and there's a lot of room for it to happen up here. So uh, a lot of stuff that happened and I don't write very well. So when I go to like write an email, whether it's um, board reports for the company or a response to a dealer, et cetera, I don't, my, my I speak way better than I Right. Okay. I'm a much better podcast host than I am blogger. All right. Uh, so I will run those kind of things through GPT to, to improve them to, to your point. And so I think about coaches who are writing letters to alumni um, uh, results. Uh, you know, a lot of coaches, and I love this. I think more should be doing this, uh, have a, like a weekly newsletter recap to their parents and alumni and uh, maybe potential recruits. Uh, it's hard sometimes to get out what I'm trying to say that other people can comprehend. So you can write how you naturally write, which may not be that great, put it into GPT and say, Hey, here's my audience. Can you improve on this? And it will, it'll improve <laughs> it for you. And so there's some ways that you can uh, write faster, um, write better and, you know, don't take as much time, you know, really writing those things down uh, so that you can go be doing other things, whether it's actually recruiting on the phone or coaching or teaching, et cetera. But I'm excited about it. Yeah, I'd never thought about that, but yeah. I, you could totally use it for that. You could be like, okay, like here is a sample newsletter. 
I'm going to upload a file for you with this week's results. Mm -hmm. Your job is to compile this week's newsletter. And and even if it's not perfect, like it might get you 80% of the way there and save yep. a half hour of your life. Yeah. I'll give you a little peek behind the curtain for all you listeners out there. Um, I can't remember the exact time frame, but certainly by the time you're listening to this and the past two to three, four months, uh, all of our podcast episode descriptions are written by GPT. So I take the video, um, this kind of blocking and tackling behind this literally behind the curtain here. You probably are, have no desire to want to know this, but you're going to know it because you're listening. Uh, so I'll take and put the video up on YouTube. Well, YouTube has a fancy little feature that they automatically write the transcript for you. So they, 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 they take all our words and they put it into, to, um, to uh, written words for, you know, closed captioning. So they automatically do that for me, uh, the translation, the transcription there. So I'll go into when it gets done with that and I'll highlight uh, all the verbiage. I'll come over to JetTPT and say, hey, uh, write me a podcast episode description. Here's the transcript. And so it it, it reads or here, you know, not hears, but reads all the things that you and I are saying. Uh, it somehow knows what you're saying versus me. It's not always 100% perfect. You always have to make sure you review anything GPT writes. Uh, don't just paste and copy and think it's gospel. Um, but it 99% it of the time nails the podcast episode description. Uh, and now I am pasting and copying over and not spending 20 minutes trying to remember what Matthew and I talked about and the highlights and making sure, you know, that I'm conveying it in a language that someone who can, who is reading it is going to understand it. Uh, I can have GPT be doing that while I am serving the next coach on equipment uh, out there. So I get to do my, my quote unquote real job more uh, than, than, uh, you know, trying to figure out how to write a transcript for what Matthew and I spoke about today. So um, I think there's just other functions like that of a coach that you, you can be doing to, you know, you, you got into coaching, not necessarily to write newsletters and, um, you know, recruiting emails and things like that. So maybe have someone else do it. So you can go do the things that you really do enjoy. And while you got into coaching, uh, you know, being in the sandpit, being at the block starts, et cetera. Exactly. Totally agree. What other technologies do you use for coaching that other people might need to look Ooh. into. You mentioned AI. I'm not sure about that, but yeah. uh, what, what, what are the things, you know, you're, you're Mr. Technology here. I want to use, I want to leverage this. Yeah. I mean, uh, to be honest, I don't use a lot of technology. Um, like I, I love a good spreadsheet. Like I have spreadsheets to organize my spreadsheets, uh, but in, in the day-to-day -day practice, um, I, I really don't use a lot of technology. I mean, like we have like the free lap cones and things uh -huh. like that. Yeah. Like we're a pretty low budget program. Like yeah. I have a, a, a measuring wheel and I put tape around it for different points. So I know yeah. where to put the cones. Yeah. And yeah. like, to me, it, I, it, to me, it all comes down to like, whatever I'm doing, I want to like empower my athletes to be able to do it. Mm. Um, and, and so like, we'll do like different plyometric exercises and uh, the cones go in specific points. And so like literally on the tape measure, it's just like, okay, like today manager, I need you to put cones at the first seven red marks. And that like and that athlete can do that. And right. like the kids can kind of set up the workout themselves. Um, and, and so like, you know, you can use that for wicket spacing and these, all these different things. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't use like a, a ton, a ton of technology. Um, I, I like to try to keep things simple um, as much as I can, uh, which is, you know, kind of maybe here, uh, I don't know, hypocritical because I'm promoting an app on this. Mm -hmm. um, but I think just using technology to to help you do the, the simple things really well is what I think is important these days. What about, can you see uh, happening for track and field? So, you know, um, 
who who was it? Was it Google that put out the smart glasses that um, everybody mm-hmm. hated? But they're coming. Like Ray Ban's got a a smart. Yeah. Uh, the, like it's it's gonna happen. I know. You know, it's so weird how culture happens. Like I don't understand why those what they call them, glass holes or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got rejected roundly. And now Ray-Ban has has a pair of smart glasses out there. It's going to happen. Like we'll all be just like I, I really believe just like we all have phones in our pocket. We will all have some kind of smart wearing uh, glass technology, if you will. Um, five years, 10 years, it's, it's going to happen. Um, do you foresee anything like that? eventually come into track and field or other things, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of location apps, you know, I think about, you know, my family and I, we use life 360. So we know where everybody is uh, for safety. I think about um, communication apps. I know there's uh, was a team builder. There's other apps to help you with your roster management and grades and uh, workouts and recovery days and things like that. Other things that you can kind of see, um, I'm gonna call it on the horizon. Like, you know, it's not really not, not, not everybody, everybody's using it here in 2024, but man, I could see this being built out by 2029 and we're all going to be using this in track and field. Yeah. I, I definitely think wearables are going to be a really big thing. So just like, you know, you put something on, maybe it tracks all of your reps for you. Um, I, I think that could be really cool. And maybe, I don't know, like it automatically uploads them to a, a spreadsheet. So the coach gets access to the data or it calculates your miles per hour as you're going, um, and, you know, like we have the, the free lap chips and things kind of do that, but I, I think that will only continue to grow and become more accurate, um, as you're going down the line. And, and I'm curious, like, I don't work in the throws world and I'm just getting into the jumps world, but I'm, I'd be really curious, like what or other things can we do? Like, is there something we can do to help the javelin, right? Or like these other events, um, that maybe don't get as many of the like bells and whistles and gadgets and things. Um, I, I think wearables is a pretty boom or like there's a lot of things that you can do in that world yeah we're always thinking about technology and you know we're not a you know we're a, we're a metal foam vinyl netting manufacturer so we're not in electronics although you know we have countdown timers and things like that but we're always thinking about how that possibly integrates with track and field like you know something that became or i shouldn't became has definitely garnered news good and bad uh, that I think will be more usable in the next several years as they um, sort out some patent issues that are occurring here in America are like the um, the uh, the pacer lights for the curbing. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, about, yeah the, you know, we, we were heavily involved in trying to bring one to America and then, you know, the company decided they wanted to go on their own uh, and then some patent issues came out. That's why you only see them like at um, uh, Oregon, you know, they, they're renting the ones mm-hmm. that are from out in Europe and things like that. But I think that kind of technology, I think, will be, uh, vital uh, with training, not necessarily. Now, I think it should be very much for our presentation of track and field for the to gain audience. Um, but I think for training, I think those type of things will be um, highly um, leveraged for for uh, track and field. I, I also like have this thought, like like um like you, you talk about for the javelins. I think like for the javelin, the hammer, and the shot put and discus, like how we put out like a laser grid into the sector so that when the javelin lands, like we don't need to have someone out there with the, you know, either a stick for a laser or measuring tape. Like we already, we already have that mapped out because we have the, the visualization, we, you know, we know distances and things like that. Um, and I think that's used, you know, kind of like mesh measurement is used in other places, but we're not using it in track and field, partly because of expenses and uh, setup, right? Your stadium has to be done right to, you know, to be able to use those kind of things. Technology isn't just uh, plug and play. You got to actually have the hardware to, to run the software and things like that. But uh, I'm always curious about what other technologies might be better, you, you know, be used one day for track and field, um, whether it's the, you know, the practice or the actual competition or, or the management of it. 
Yeah, definitely. I, and I think they're, it's only going to continue to grow in yeah. the future. And like, as more, you know, like companies start to develop technology for athletics. Um, and I, I like, I'm hopeful, you know, like I think a lot we talk in our sport is like trying to get the sport more popular. And I'm hopeful, like, as we get to the 2028 Olympics, um, you know, like people will be more interested in track and like maybe companies will start developing more technology for it. And I, and I think there's so many cool things that you can do. Um, and just like, as we get more creative, innovative people out there, um, there's only like cooler and cooler things we'll be able to make. Well, obviously, you know, we're seeing a lot of technology in the shoe wear side of things, right? And there's a lot of money in that because, you know, Joe down the street can buy that. Well, you know, there's not that many track programs in the relationship to how many Joe's, you know, consumers there are out there. But I do, you know, I love to always continue to unapologetically push the envelope of technology and development in track and field. Uh, I'm reminded we, um, we just came out with a new hurdle that, uh, you know, you step on the crossbar to raise the hurdle up and down instead of the, you know, the triggers and all that kind of stuff. Right. And, uh, we were showing it off at one of the NCAA championships and a coach who I, you know, I, I don't want to embarrass. There's nothing embarrassing here, but just in case, uh, looks at me and says, Oh man, you guys continue to push, don't you? And I was like, yeah, we sure do. And he's like, why? And I was like, you know, if we don't push, we'd still be taking a trough to dig out our starting blocks for the hundred meter dash. And he was like, that's a good point. <laughs> so we have to have people, uh, you know, like from our R&D team to coaches, it's where we get a lot of ideas as well, uh, to continue pushing. How do we improve our sport? How do we improve training our athletes so that we can continue doing what you guys are doing out there, by the way, uh, coaching your butts off. I mean, times and distances today are just crazy. Uh, and you know, that takes your own, uh, education on how you're coaching your own motivation and how you're speaking and motivating your athletes and also the equipment, um, from all forms and fashions, from starting blocks to uh, shoes, you know, it takes all that kind of uh, amalgamation together to continue pushing our sport forward. Yeah. And it's, it's been crazy. Like I think at the high school level, just the, like the amount of improvement that we've seen and the number of records and things like that. And I think it's crazy. like, uh, as we're able to get knowledge out to more coaches and um, even the athletes themselves, like social media has been able to imp improve athletes in general. Um, and so like, I, nerdy thing but somewhat transitioning like i have a spreadsheet and i keep track of the state meet results every year in pennsylvania okay. um so in pennsylvania we have a true state championship in the winter um and it's all teams all classifications um so like we competed last year and we have 275 boys compared to the school that is 2500 boys um and so i track what it takes to be first place second place third place in all of the events and pretty much every year it's just been improving and improving and improving and some of that's down to technology but i think a lot of it's down to like you know the athletes themselves and the coaches becoming better educated um and just you know like us as society just improving yeah access to coaching education i think has literally changed the game and will continue yeah. to change the game when it comes to coaching i love that you brought up your state meet uh you know coming up here in april and may we went out and was, i didn't even you know he, he did that all by himself it was a great plug uh we uh went out and in interviewed one high school coach from every state, including Washington, D.C., to talk about those state meets and how you qualify and the pr processes. And, uh, you know, Pennsylvania was a unique one. I love it. all 51 actually just kind of blew my mind. So um, would love for you, you know, if you're interested in that and kind of learning the different state meets, what events, you know, there's a lot of different events that some people are doing and not doing. There's a couple of states that are doing the shuttle hurdle relays. There's a couple of states that are doubling up their relay points. Uh, there's a couple of states that have multi-events for their state meet. Uh, so that starts April, runs April 2nd 
all the way through the end of May from Alabama all the way to Wyoming, including Pennsylvania. They're in there as well. And so um, that'll be some fun daily content, 20, 30 minute bonus uh, podcast that will run daily. So I'm um, excited for you guys to hear about Pennsylvania and all of the other states that are out there. It's a lot of fun. Matthew, I don't know why I didn't necessarily think this conversation was going to go towards technology. I should have assumed and guessed. Uh, when you start talking about being a computer science guy, I was like, all right, well, I, I'm dangerous enough. I know, uh, you know, I, I got I dipped my toe in that world and then, you know, they quickly kicked me out. So I should have known we to get into technology. But this has been really fascinating to talk about. Um, a, some of the things that we're doing today. I mean, think about what your app is doing, what Track Motion is doing today. And again, go back 10 years. 10 years ago is a snap, by the way. Uh, it would have been voodoo witch doctor stuff. Like, what do you mean? I can point my phone at an athlete and it'll show me the angles. Like, that's crazy. I would love for it to do that. But no, back then, you know what we were doing even 10 years ago? Um, I think we used to sell this product. I know some other people did. We used to sell this like, um, um, you know, two angles of, of wood, uh, with a screw, you know, like, um, a butterfly screw that would, you know, you'd, you'd walk up to your athlete and, you know, this one would be the thigh and this one would be the, 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 the um, chin. And, you know, you'd stop it there and be like, oh, okay, you're at 40 degrees. We, the guy, come on. That is the most, bar that's what cavemen used. And we used that <laughs> 10 years ago. And now uh, in that short amount of time, we're now pointing a camera and it's telling us 40 degrees, 60 degrees, whatever uh, it might be. So it's quite amazing, man. I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. You know, again, I love, giving value to others. So when I see things like this and people like you that are doing things that I think are going to provide value to coaches out there, man, I just want to amplify it, gas it up as much as possible. So I truly hope that if you're listening, if you feel like this might help you go check it out. I mean, this is a guy, what he said, he spent a hundred hours on just one thing. So he's spending hundreds of hours on this entire app. I don't necessarily want you to go check it out because you feel sorry for Matthew and all the time he spent on there. I want you to go check it out because of the hours he spent on there has given value to you so that you can coach better. Uh, maybe, honestly, I really hope it helps you coach more efficiently so that you can spend more time off the track with your passions, your charities, your families, et cetera. So Matthew, man, thank you so much. Um, you know, your journey, again, I love the uniqueness. I love, I, I actually, this sounds crazy. I love that you weren't a college athlete, uh, you know, in the traditional sense. I really do. Cause I love that it shows people out there that they too can be a great coach, uh, no matter what their past was, whether they ran high school track or not, whether they ran college track or not, whether they were a quote unquote good athlete or not, if they have the love and passion for our sport and the love and passion for our young people, they also can marry the two and become a great track and field coach out there, man. So Matthew, man, thank you so much, man. It was great to spend time with you today. I'm really grateful for your time. Uh, it was literally fascinating to me. I, I, I'm sure everybody's turned off by now because the technology, you aren't even listening anymore. But for me, this is what I love about uh, our sport, man. So thank you so much for being here today, my man. No, thank you so much for having me. Guys, thank you for being here. We're going to keep it going. We're in season five, which is just crazy. Here's technology for you. We didn't have the technology to do something like this podcast 10 years ago. So uh, quite amazing. Who knows what we'll do. Maybe I'll be doing like hologram interviews for a podcast here in the next five years. Like you'll be able to, like I'll be in your office doing this interview with like a hologram kind of Star Trek style. I don't know. Who knows? But whatever it is, I'm going to continue to push the envelope so that you can continue to receive value. So thanks for being here this week. Join us next week as we have another coach here to uplift and honor. And again, thanks for our guest here at Matthew Davis Episcopal Academy out in Pennsylvania. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week.
goes to appreciate the coach, the ones who point people most. Every season needs a voice of reason, speaking the growth. You gotta prep before you carry the load. It's coffee to the soul for those of us who stay on the go. Proper handoff to stay in the zone. What you packing for the road? There's more than one way to the go. Take notes, that's paying your toll. It ain't practice if your purpose ain't clear. It can't happen until you listen with both ears. Can't mentor without a mentor years of experience so you can reinvent those years. Every plan's got a stand to deliver up to. And the price sacrifice, can you give up you? It's a choice and a fight, not a win or lose. It's not a ploy, but advice so y'all can make more moves. It's not about how to, it's all about why. You don't know till you know who you are inside. Six million ways to tie, choose none. So we all cross the finish line, the work ain't done. So we learn from the experts, we all gotta put in the legwork. Guild athletics is a network, it's all about connections. Put together for the profession, to every track coach could be the blessing.